Hello, this is Wade. You know, it's always my hope that you'll be blessed and inspired in your walk with the Lord as you listen today. The conclusion, like I said in this sermon series, entitled Curious Case of Sowing and Reaping. And last week we kind of spoke about the difference between God's grace and God's mercy. God's grace is an unmerited favor that he gives us. And that, is, that means we're walking in God's favor with him. And we didn't do anything to, to deserve it. And that's why we call it God's grace. It's unmerited. But God's mercy, on the other hand, is he doesn't give us what we deserve as sinners. And I don't know about you, that's enough to jump up and shout about. I mean, especially when we get there, we're going to understand the majesty of God and what we are. You know, you got to remember Isaiah, when he stood in the presence of God, what did he say? Woe is me, a man of unclean lips. I mean, he, he knew instantly where he was faulty and uh, because God's presence does that to us. Uh, we also spoke a little bit about sowing in doing that. We, when we sow into the invis- invisible realm, we really uh, have control, we have choice, and we have an intention. We have the intentional ability to sow good seed. And unlike farmers in our congregation here this morning, uh, they can go out and inspect their crops so they can kind of see how things are going. But you and I, when we are sowing in the invisible realm, we have no way of inspecting our crops. We don't know. We just, keep, we just have to continue with intention to sow good seed. And uh, on the other hand, we have a huge advantage because we know what kind of harvest we're going to do. Because if we're sowing good seed, we're going to receive a good harvest. If we're sowing bad seed, we're going to receive a bad harvest. Whereas the farmers in our world and in our congregation here, they don't know what kind of harvest they're going to get until they actually get into the field. They have a pretty good guess maybe about how things are going to go. But until they get in the field and actually start reaping, they don't know. And so we know by the seed that we sow. So that's the huge advantage. Um, But let's just look at our text this morning, and we're going to start out. This is a very well-known passage. When you talk about sowing and reaping, this is where most people, most preachers, uh, will go in Galatians 6, 7, and through 10. It says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, I love this part, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Ah, turn to your neighbor and go, hey, you're special. Don't say it like that. (laughs) I know some of you are going to have a good time with that one. Uh, But anyway, you know, I read something the other day, and I shared it in our men's group on Wednesday night. And it's kind of the, it's a, the gospel message is unlike any other message in the world. Any world religion, it's unlike any of that. And I don't know who actually said it. There are several people that I know have said this. So I don't know where it originated. Uh, but it says this, and I quote, You are more wicked than you've ever dared believe. And you are more loved than you ever dared to hope. 
I just want you to consider that. That is the gospel message. And, and what do you do with a message like that? I mean, on one hand, what it does to us is it reminds us that we have a need for a God and his mercy and his grace. But on the other hand, if you're not sowing good seed, then this is the issue. Nobody on that side of the fence wants to be told they're doing wrong. I know when I was doing wrong, I didn't want to be told I was doing wrong. And I was often reminded by God's word that I was doing wrong. When Paul writes this letter to the church at Galatia, he he is defining a very objective fact. And this is the truth. If you are saying to yourself, I am sowing corn, but you're actually sowing thistle seed, you're going to reap thistle seed. (laughs) I mean, it's just that plain and simple. You can say all day, I'm sowing corn today, but actually sowing ragweed. And a lot of people will really like you for that. Therefore, this teaching from Paul slaps our modern culture right across the face. I want you to think about this. You, you know, you can say you don't believe in gravity. And you can even say gravity doesn't apply to you. But once you jump off the roof, you're going to discover the real truth. The real truth is, is you're going to hit hard. Because gravity actually does apply to you because it was created by the designer of this world and this universe and it is designed for this place that we live on and to operate anything especially your car beyond its specifications if you go beyond the design specifications you're going to you're going to take a ride in your car that you'll never forget If you live through it, you drive off of a cliff, you got two things against you. Number one, the car is not designed to fly. And number two, the gravity, a law of gravity will take you all the way to the ground. The God of this world and this universe designed us to operate within certain specifications. The the Ten Commandments... You know, nobody gets in the airplane and you're going to take a trip. You know, we took a trip to Orlando and uh, one time and and we got on the plane and the flight attendant got up there and said, you know, went through the speech, you know, the safety speech. This is what's going to happen if these things happen and all of this. And and they say, put your seatbelts on and they come by and they actually check. Now, are they trying to cause you to lose your rights? I mean... You're, I mean, it's all about safety, isn't it? You can't, you, they, will, they will not take off if you won't buckle your seatbelt. And the reason the Ten Commandments are nothing more than that safety device that God has put in his word to remind us of what's right and what's wrong. And to operate out of those specifications is going to cause us a problem. Our culture says this, hey, if you, if, you, if you believe that adultery's wrong, that's you. That's you. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. Isn't that what they say today? Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you think it's wrong that I take my neighbor's mower because he left it out and doesn't put it under lock and key, 
well, that's you. That's not me. I'm going to live my life the way you live your life, and I'll live my life, and we'll all be happy. Well, that's all right until somebody else, somebody else steals your mower, right? I mean, I don't think people think this out so well, but the truth is uh, when we talk like this, and Paul just slaps the whole modern culture right in the face, and he says, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now, let's call this anticipation, okay? I'm just going to give you some words for your, your thing. It was a very, very stressful week for me this week. So just put anticipation down if you've got your hand out there. Farmers and gardeners know this word, anticipation. They anticipate a harvest, right? They know it's coming. But apparently those who choose to go their own way don't want to be reminded of this term. Because Paul said, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. So Paul confronts the people, shocking them into understanding what Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 11 says. Listen to this. This is from Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. You know what Paul's saying there? He's saying, when people do something wrong and it doesn't bite them, they get a little more bold. They get a little deeper in. And they'll just keep doing that. You know, it's like, it's like taking drugs or alcohol. Well, I, I didn't, I'm not, I have no addiction. It, it was okay. I mean, I mean, that's how they reason it. I'll give you, I'll give you a real practical example of this. I was assigned to a, a special enforcement uh, zone. Uh, this is when I lived and was stationed down in Iola as a state trooper. And I was down there, and there were uh, 10 of us troopers that were assigned to this 20-mile stretch of highway on 69 Highway. And we're there working 20 miles to this milepost to that milepost, tw- 10 of us right there. And I'm telling you, we were stopping people. We had people coming up from, the, from Tulsa going up to Kansas City, Kansas City to Tulsa. I mean, it's a main thoroughfare. And I'm telling you, we were stopping people. You would think that after seeing so many troopers in that area that somebody would get a hint. But they didn't. They, in fact, I stopped this guy. He was going 20 over. So that would be like 95 in, a, in the 75 out here on the interstate, right? How many of you think that that's fast? How many of you drive that? Okay, just, just looking, just looking. So, Wait, are you pointing at somebody else? <laughs> I thought maybe you were trying to rat somebody out there. I don't, sorry. But here's the thing. I get up there, and I get his driver's license. He goes, are you going to write me a ticket? I said, yes. He goes, well, I just don't understand something. I go, what? He goes, I passed three troopers. And not one of them pulled me over. And I said, so you're telling me you had three chances to slow down and you never took them. Right? Isn't that the way it is? God is not mocked. (laughs) What you sow, you're going to reap. And I think sometimes we forget about that. 
And, and we get, and if we're not careful, let me just say this. I love this analogy. Paul was on the road to Damascus. He was doing wrong. And he got stopped by God on the highway for speeding and going the wrong way. Can I tell you, Paul would later say, I'm glad he did. You who have come to Jesus Christ, aren't you glad he did that to you? That he made you aware that you were doing wrong because truly lost people are never told because their heart is far from God. But the reality is, is we need to understand this idea of anticipation. I mean, you know, the only people that don't like this message really, and, and I'm telling you right now, I, I have a podcast. I keep track of who listens and who watches, and, and I have a faithful little following, and I say it's little. But the reality is, is this is not a, this is not a popular series. It is not. I mean, I don't have people lining up, you know. If, if, it's, about, if it's about God's goodness and his, his favor and things like that, people will get on it. But this one right here scares people. It, I mean, there's a difference between those who don't have fear and trepidation because they have been forgiven and they're walking in God's favor and in his mercy. And if you have God's mercy, if you have God's favor, then you should not be afraid. Because if you are intentionally sowing good seed, it will come forth. Don't, don't worry about it. So remember this. Surrendering to Jesus will allow God to, to wipe the slate clean. You know, it will. Um, now, for all of us who may never forget, may we never forget what Paul writes in verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. This is a very informative verse. I mean, Paul instructs us, do not become weary. Why does he do that? Because we will grow weary. He's saying what's going to happen. He's telling us, be prepared, but don't give up when it happens. Keep doing good. Even in the toughest of situations, you keep sowing good seed, and it will pay off if you do not give up. And that is the whole key here, is not to give up. Let's call that cultivation. Cultivation. And uh, it's a word uh, that many of us understand. I mean, those of us who serve Christ have served Christ for a while, who have been sowing good seed for a long time. There are those seasons where it is hard and you do get weary. But get back in the game. Get off the sideline. Get back in the game. This, you know, the definition of cultivation, I love this. The, the, first, the second uh, definition is this. Try to win the friendship or favor of someone. I mean, isn't that what we try to do when we witness to somebody? We develop a relationship with them. We begin sharing Jesus Christ with them. I mean, and the, the tertiary, which means the third one. It's a big fancy word. I like using it. It's the only big word I know. Um, and that is to, to try to acquire or develop a quality or skill. You know, hanging in there, having perseverance, 
sowing good seed and, and even though you're weary, not giving up. That is, a, that is a skill. That is something you develop, especially when the years go past and very little progress ever happens, especially when that happens. I mean, we're all, I mean, let's just, I just want to paint you a picture. What if just five of us, for some reason, singled somebody out and said, you know, I know the Lord wants that person to come to Christ. And you say to yourself, I'm going to start befriending him or her, or I'm going to pray for them. And you got five people doing all of these things. I'm going to encourage. And you don't know that you're, everybody else is doing these things. You think it's just you. But God has given five people this insight, and they're all talking, and they're witnessing, and they're sharing, and they're loving on this person. You know, that'll change a life. That will change a life. And God can do that. And God absolutely can do it. That's why we read in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says this, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. You know, we all play a part in the salvation of people. And I don't know about you, but I want all the credit I can get. I mean, I want all the credit I can get. You know, as a trooper, I would come in and I would, I have to, at the end of the, at the, end of the six days, I'd have to take all the stuff that I've done and I'd have to write it on a sheet and send it into the state so they knew that I was working. And uh, I mean, I was always told, you know, uh, so it's six or seven, I can't remember, and I have eight fingers holding up. <laughs> I'm really divided. Uh, but anyway, they always said that five, uh, six to seven or to eight contacts will keep the sergeant away, basically is what that was all about. So you say, so you had to write eight tickets? Is that how it worked? No. You could write eight warnings. You could write eight service rendereds. You could stop eight trucks. If you did that, you usually were okay. I had a good friend of mine who was assigned uh, to watch a trooper. And this guy was an older guy. He was very well off financially. And uh, they said that the trooper that followed him was on a bicycle. He never left the city. He would go to his house, go down to the station, go to the restaurant, go back to his house. That's all he did for a whole week of work week. And you know, God is not mocked. You get what you sow. You reap what you sow. And I think it's important that we understand that all of this, you know, we have to put everybody else first. I think it's very important. Now, let's move to the next word participation, participation. Look at verse 10 with me. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Yesterday, uh, Hans, at our men's breakfast, which was the greatest number we've ever had, 22 uh, guys, and it was just great. And it's free breakfast. You know, I don't know about you, but, you know, ham, if you get some bacon, you get some eggs, hey, that's pretty good stuff. And, uh, but he was speaking on being more than a conqueror. And he literally asked, what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Well, I didn't come up with an answer yet, Han. So, uh, but that is an important question. What does that mean, being more than a conqueror? Uh, 
And I, I'll have to do some research on that. But he also kind of railed against something called a participation trophy. The participation trophy. You know, kindergarten, I could see it. You know, everybody played soccer. You know, you ever watch kindergartners play soccer? They just chase the ball around. That's all they're doing. I, I can remember in the community we lived in formerly, and this guy got bent out of shape because they were doing it wrong. He was a dad, and he was going, and I'm like, these kids don't even know what they're doing. There's no, there's, they just are kicking the ball. You know, they don't even, they're not trying to go to the goal. They're not trying to kick the ball down there. They're just kicking it wherever. And it keeps going out of bounds. It's just, it's moronic to think that somehow we're going to get all bent out of shape because these five-year-olds are kicking a ball. And I'm just like, this is silly. And and this guy, his veins are popping out on the side. And, and, well, they're not doing it right. And I'm like, yeah, they're five. (laughs) It's just so crazy. But, I, I mean, it just, to me, it just strikes me as so funny that that's how that is. But, you know, we don't get trophies for participation. And, you know, it dumbs down the whole idea of competition. And I don't know about you. I don't see the Chinese giving ribbons out for participation. And I know I'm going on a nationalist rant here, but I'm worried for our country. I mean, but let me just, let me get back to my my point here, because <laughs> I could chase this rabbit down the hole, and I don't want to, Tim. I just don't want to. There are those who participate in church, and there are those who are committed. And you know what the difference is? All you got to do is look at a plate of bacon and eggs. The egg, the eggs came from a chicken, which was participating. But that bacon came from a pig that was committed. Okay? He's got skin in the game, literally. (laughs) I mean, that's the difference between just being a participant and a committed person. You know what I love about verse 10? It says, as we have the opportunity... As we have the opportunity. Can I, I, I grew up in a church, me and Jody grew up in a church, and our pastor, he had us going around knocking on doors. It, it was, you're supposed to go and take a survey of people in the neighborhood, and you're going on, knocking on doors, and uh, Jody, did you want to do that? No. No. <laughs> I wasn't that excited about it either, because my whole life I had spent uh, dodging uh, Jehovah Witnesses and uh, the Mormons. So, you know, I, I didn't want nothing to do with this because I'm thinking, I didn't like those guys, and I don't think I'm going to like me going up and doing this because they're going to treat me like I treated those guys. And uh, bless Santiago, okay? <laughs> but let me just say this. That was forced. But when you understand that God has an opportunity for you today and all you got to do is look for it it's a divine appointment didn't Jesus have divine appointments I mean he just happened to come up on a funeral where the widow's son had died he just happens to be there and he just knows what to do he already knew what was going to happen he's the God of all the earth And he's basically 
given us a pattern. Hey, look around. Don't try to force things to happen. Just look. And when somebody, and God will nudge you, will tell you, hey, they just said they moved into town. Hey, do you go to a church? You know, I mean, you can strike up a conversation. And it's so easy. How many of you just marvel at Jamie uh, Montera? I mean, the dude, he just fishing at the, at, the, at the river. And all of a sudden, he strikes up a conversation, and he's talking to this guy. And the guy says, yeah, I've got this mess in my life. Oh, yeah? I'll pray for you. Really? He goes, I'll pray right now if you want me to. You know, Jamie. <laughs> Get right in your face, won't he, Casey? <laughs> I mean, he'll do that. And I think that's, that is, that's the secret, as God gives the opportunity. Because that may, and he'll give you the words. He'll give you the way. You're like, I'll be so afraid. Yeah, you will be. But once you figure it out, it's not work. It's just natural. God will just lead into it. And it'll, it'll be amazing to you how he does that. Now, I, I, I just want to just point one last thing here. I'm closing, I promise. In John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus modeled something for all of us. And he said this, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus died. He was the seed that would bring a harvest of souls back to heaven. He died for you. He denied himself to save us. And we deny ourselves so we can sow good seed in the life of others. Don't grow weary in well-doing. For if you continue, there will be a harvest. Because although you are more wicked than you ever dared to believe, you are absolutely, definitely more loved than you'll ever hope for so why so we wouldn't have to reap a bad harvest that's why he died because although we are more wicked we are more loved and I, I'm telling you love what did Jesus say about love it covers a multitude of sins Amen. dare to love like God do not grow weary in doing good for at the proper time you'll reap a harvest if you do not give up and let me just end this with this phrase right here. Finish the race. Finish the race. Finish the race. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you now in the name of Jesus. And I just thank you. Hey, this is Pastor Wade. Uh, thanks so much for stopping by and listening today. And like always, my prayer is that the Lord would bless you and guard your heart for that day.